Uh, please turn with me to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11. And we'll be in, uh, he- we're, we're turning to Hebrews now to read the Apostles' inspired interpretation of Genesis 22. We're going to turn to Genesis 22, and that's where we're going to spend our time. But I'll read from Hebrews 11, verses 17 through 19. And this, of course, has been called by many, you know, the great chapter of faith or um, cloud of witnesses, so on and so forth. But what I want to do this morning, particularly since it's Resurrection Sunday, is I, I I want you to have this in mind, this question in mind. What is the result of faith in God who can bring life? out of death. What happens to a person? And what does their life look like when they believe in a God who can bring life out of death? Hebrews chapter 11, beginning at verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, if in Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him even from the dead, from which he also received him, in a figurative sense. Amen. And I want to note six things with you from this passage. First, the person that's talked about, the circumstance, the effect that the circumstance had on him. The person, of course, is uh, Abraham. And then I want to note three different uh, aspects of his faith. And it's noted in the language that's used to describe his son. Then I want to note faith and the promise. And I'll repeat this. You know, I'm just trying to help you with the outline. At least briefly. Keep in mind. Six points. Faith and the promise. How these two interact. And then this reference from when he received him in a figure. I want to note that with you. But first the person. So turn to Genesis chapter 22. You could keep your finger in Hebrews uh, 11, 17, but Genesis 22. This is where uh, Moses recounts this event. So the individual, the person. Let me read the first two verses. Now it came to pass, after these things, that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, your only begotten son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And it says that by faith, Abraham, 
Abraham is a man of renown, even in, in our world today. At that time, he was, of course, but even in our world today. He is esteemed and blessed by Jewish people who aren't Christian. Right? He's the father of their faith. Christians, and even Muslims, highly esteem Abraham. And it was this Abraham to whom God gave the promise. And even after this, in this very chapter, listen to the words of 15 and 18. Listen to how God speaks about Abraham. Verse 16, verse 16, 22, 16. By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your only son, Blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashores. And your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because of this act, it became apparent to God that Abraham was a man who had great faith. And true faith is vigorous. It is, true faith is not passive. It acts in response to the promises and the commands of God. God alone knows how to prescribe what is necessary for us to do. And he does it always in proportion to the grace and the strength that he gives us. In proportion to that strength and grace... Faith is vigorous. It acts. It is not passive. You know, if you could think of faith um, like a, a, as an athlete, right? Faith as an athlete. Faith is not flabby and soft. It has very good cardiovascular endurance. It's vigorous. And Abraham's faith was very vigorous. That's why even in Romans chapter 4, when uh, Paul wants to give an example of what faith looks like, he presents Abraham. Abraham is an example of what it means to be a faithful person. Was Abraham a sinner? Yes. Read Genesis. He, He was. But what we see is that throughout his life, as he was tested, he failed many times. Yet, ultimately, in this great test, he showed his faith. But why? Well, it is because he believed in God who can bring death out of life. Life out of death. Sorry. Therefore, perseverance is possible because God is the one who prescribes the obstacles he puts in front of us. I don't pick the obstacles, the difficulties that God is going to place in my life. He does. If I pick the obstacles, my faith would be very sedentary. It would not be vigorous because I would want a very easy life. It's like if you're out of shape and you go to a personal trainer, right? He, he, he may begin just by putting you on a treadmill, And then as your resilience and your ability increases, he escalates, right? And the training becomes more intense. And this is the same way that God works with us. 
Now note the circumstance where Abraham exercised this great faith. The circumstance. When he was tested. Literally, the verse translated from Hebrews is this. He offered his son when he was tested. The the act, what Abraham did is what is the focus. And that is the circumstance. The circumstance is his testing. And what he did, of course, was he offered his son. This was in the context of his greatest personal trial. And during his greatest personal trial, what we see is great confidence in God. The word tempt can be translated a different way. Some of your translations say something like to prove or to test. And that is what God was doing. God was proving or testing the faith of Abraham. Not because God didn't know what was in Abraham. But really it was to expose what was in Abraham. And when Abraham offers up his only begotten son, what Abraham does is he puts his earthly hope to death for the sake of heavenly rewards. What what I mean by that is this. he, He had earthly, Abraham, like every other man, has earthly hopes. You have hopes in this world, and like every woman. When I say man, I mean both genders, okay? (laughs) Like every other man, he has hopes in this world. And having hopes in this world, they're they're not bad. If you have kids, you want them to grow up, uh, go to college, have a trade, be, be able to support themselves, have a family, give you a bunch of grandkids. Those are the things that you want from your children. Or maybe from yourself personally, Abraham had earthly expectations for his son, Jacob. Grandson, but you get it. He had earthly expectations for his seed. And he put those to death. Why? For a greater hope. When God tests us, when he tries us, he grants us the occasion to act according to Abraham. And he exposes the principles and the inclinations that govern our life. Are we willing to put to death our earthly hopes and expectations to please God? God does this in various ways. He gives us positive commands. There are providential circumstances that come into our life. So a positive uh, command is something like, thou shalt not commit adultery. That's That's a positive command. Don't do it. Thou shalt not steal. Right? Don't do this. What I mean by a positive command is just a straight command, whether to do a thing or not do a thing. We have those all over the Bible. But then there are providential circumstances in which we are placed, and a command is there, but it's not explicit. So, for example, Joseph was in Potiphar's house, and Potiphar's wife is hitting on him. 
and nobody's there, and he's in charge of the place. Nobody's going to know, right? Just between me and Potiphar's wife. No, he says, how can I commit this great sin against God? A providential circumstances. So for example, right, you're walking down the street and you find somebody's wallet. You pick up the wallet, you open it up. The guy's ID, address, everything is right there. It's a providential circumstance. And there's a command attached to it. But then there are many other commands. And what, what happens is, what's in your heart, your willingness to obey God is exposed in those providential circumstances. It's revealed to you. If it's private and if it's public, it's revealed to others. They get to see what's in your heart by the way that you act and live. And this is what happened to Abraham. Abraham was put in his situation where his earthly hopes of a progeny, of having children, remember, he had his hopes set on Lot. Even Eliezer he proposed. And now God gives him a son and he says, this is the one. This is, this is the one in whom the promises God gave me will be fulfilled. They'll come to fulfillment through him. Not that he is the end, but he is one of the means that God is going to use for the great end, which is the coming of Christ. And he had his hope. And now God says, put that to death. And what are those things that God may be asking you to put to death? What are they? You know, money, women, your own personal desires, lusts of the flesh, pride of life. What are those things that you must put to death? These things happen, in, and they happen even in small ways. We're always thinking, of course, this example with Abraham is a big example because God wants to catch our attention. He doesn't give us every single circumstance in Abraham's life. Look, for you, it might just be not falling asleep during the sermon. That's what it might be for you, right? Am I going to be faithfully trust God? Am I going to pinch myself, stand up, you know, pinch my knuckles, whatever it is you have to do, you know, twist my fingers back so I could stay awake? It might be that. That, that kind of lack of interest in the word of God is, could be an indicator for you. Or it could just be that you worked a long shift. We should not be afraid of trials either because they do expose what's in our heart and we need to know we need to know what's in there. Listen to James. In James chapter 1, James says this way. You know, we ask the question, uh, why do good things happen to bad people? R.C. Sproul said, he's this is not verbatim, but he says that only happened once, right? And that was on the cross. <clears throat> In James chapter 1, listen to what James says here. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. I lost my job. Praise God. I got a, got a bad diagnosis. Well, praise the Lord. The Lord is doing something with that. He is, he is going to, now he's going to test you. What do you have your hope in? Um, you know, we live in a crazy age, right? Facebook and Instagram and, and social media. 
and you can actually become uh, used well, you can become friends with people on the other side of the planet or the country. And I became very good friends with a young man my age, uh, so he's not that young, middle age. <laughs> became friends, and we've been friends online for years. Has a wife, no kids. He was diagnosed with cancer, and he, he just died last week. Young man, married. He died well, though. And that was encouraging to me. He, he, he uh, recorded his, 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 from the time he was diagnosed his entire treatment on a blog all the way to the week before his death. That encouraged me greatly. He died with hope. He counted it all joy. He knows that he is in the presence of his... He knows he was going to enter into the presence of his Savior. So he died with great joy in his heart. We shouldn't fear tests, trials, difficulties. Those things should not cause us to fear in any way as Christian people. It's an opportunity for God to test and to try and for us to be tested personally and tried to see where we need to grow, where we need, what are the things that we're holding on to in this world that we need to repent of? Where do we need to grow in our confidence? So the circumstance itself, the man, the circumstance, and now what he did. He offered up Isaac, Genesis 2.22. And here he offered him up as a burnt offering. And the, the way that you do this is <clears throat> they would slay the animal and burn it. <clears throat> he offered him up. Now, if you, look, you read the, the passage, uh, he didn't offer him up. But the meaning in Hebrews is that he obeyed the command of God. He did it, as John Owen says, he did it in will, heart, and affections. He was willing to do it. He was going to go through with it. Now, you know, if you think to yourself, oh, well, if God ever asked me, you're not that special. God's not going to ask you to do anything like that, okay? That's not, that's not how it works. That was a particular event in history that is meant to prefigure something that would happen that is greater. The offering of an only begotten son. God's not going to ask you to do something like this. And if you sit in judgment and say, well, I can't believe Abraham would do it, is because you don't understand the nature of faith and what he actually believed. The reason he was willing to do this is because he believed in a God who can bring life out of death. So you're, you know, you got to work on your reading comprehension skills if you're mad at Abraham or God. His attitude, this attitude goes against the sensibilities of our days. When God commands something, it is our, it is, uh, to quote Owen again, he says, it's the wisdom and duty of faith to act contrary to what the world thinks. It is the wisdom and duty of faith to act contrary. Uh, 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 you know, my, my job makes it to where I can't come to church. Well, quit your job. Oh, I can't quit my job. Okay, well, we know where your priorities are. 
It's really simple. It trials, these difficulties, they expose what's in the heart of a person. I can't do that. I can't do this. I can't. Okay. Your heart is being exposed. So you see the act, what he did, revealed his willingness to obey God. And it is the same for you. Now, now let, let's look at some specifics now. At some very important details that help to expand upon the nature of his faith. Listen to how this son that he offered up is described. It was his only begotten son. Now he had other children, right? Ishmael. And then from Keturah, he's going to have a bunch more. In what sense is Isaac the only begotten son? Oh, well, in verse 18, in Hebrews, tells us, it was in Isaac your seed shall be blessed. It was in Isaac that the promise was going to go forth into the world, and, this, and it was through Isaac, eventually, that the Savior would come into the world. Think of the effect that this must have had on him, offering his boy. That was his son. This is not like a robot mechanical thing. You know, I've only had one circumstance where I was really, this is anecdotal. Anecdotal stuff is not good in sermons, but I couldn't think of anything else to illustrate it. I've had one circumstance in my life where I thought one of my kids was probably dead. And we were over at Pastor Mike's house, and he's got a huge property in Florida with a bunch of swamps and all kinds of stuff, right? He's got a a zoo out there, too. Donkeys and pigs and all kinds of creatures. And we couldn't find Jacob anywhere. And my first thought, we were at a pool. Jacob is four now. And at that time, maybe he's three or two and a half. Two and a half. And we could not find him anywhere. And I thought we had been in a pool, I think the day before, a few days before. I thought he'd gotten himself into Pastor Mike's pond. I mean, we couldn't find him anywhere. I'm in this pond looking for him. Desperate, you know. He's on ATVs. We're all over the place. Call the police. We couldn't couldn't find him. We're looking for him maybe 45 minutes, an hour. And uh, he fell asleep in Pastor Mike's son's closet. (laughs) (laughs) But the agony that Abraham was going through when he had to do this, you see, it 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 was a difficult thing. And sometimes to act in faith is really difficult. It is trying. It taxes you. It hurts. It it is not easy. So it was his his only begotten son. This is meant to, to provoke in our minds, I think, of course, theologically, the only begotten son of God who was offered for the sins of God's people. But how dear this boy was to Abraham. And he did not waver. He didn't waver. Why? Because ultimately what we see is that his hope is not in his son, but in God. 
He, he completely, he completely put his life in the hands of God and says, Lord, to live by faith is a hard thing, but I trust you. There's this confidence in, in God. Faith will conflict with your affections. There will be conflicts because your affections, believe it or not, are not infallible. What you feel is not infallible. God is infallible. And when he commands, our affections are going to try to get in the way. Second, second thing to note here is God says that it was through this son that he had received the promises of whom it is said, in Isaac shall your seed be called. It, it was in this son that the promises of God were held out to him. And what he says, as I said before, he put to death those earthly promises and he put his hope in heavenly promises. You know, you may have worked years to to be in the job that you are, to do the things that you're doing, but if they impede you from serving God, cut them off. Kill them. Offer them up to God. Next. Next. Note. Look at the nature of the promises. What, what is the nature of these promises? Well, the nature of this promise, of course, was, uh, if you look at Genesis chapter 22, Genesis chapter 22, the nature of the promise, Genesis chapter 22, verse 17. 217. Blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Right? This, this is not only a 50% raise, but it's also a, a, a 125% of your last annual income is your pension and you know you get the president's medical insurance right this is this is it all the bells and all the whistles that was the nature of the promise and he was willing to just okay if if god would have me give up these earthly things then i will give them up Right? No, no, see, uh, the promises that Abraham had, and remember, Abraham's an old man already, right? So there was, there's, there's uh, no man or woman that can compare to the nature of this promise, no vocation, not, nothing at all, no, no sensual pleasure or desire. The, these promises were absolutely amazing. And we, for petty things, we give up the promises of God. For petty and small things. But yet ultimately we know that in this promise, the Savior was given. But what was it that 
encouraged him, that, that, that caused him to, to say, no, um, I, have to, I, have, I, I need to do this. Look at, oh, well, in Hebrews 11.19, he concluded that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. This is why he was willing to do it. And, and here's where it is important for Christian people to build their faith on the fundamental articles of Christianity. You have to know what those things are. And uh, pray for God to convince you. The resurrection is a fundamental article. Look, if you think that, um, yeah, uh, you know, around Christian people, I'll talk about the resurrection, but that's just, I don't believe that, you know. I don't believe that he was raised from the dead. And, one, um, and maybe you say, well, I believe it, but you don't live in light of it, and you don't believe it, right? We all believe that if we stand on 209 for, you know, and, and a Mack truck is coming at 55 miles an hour, and we stay on 209, that we will die. We believe it. So we act accordingly. We stay off of 209. We put fences around our house so our dogs and our kids and the horses and chickens don't go out there. Right? So if a person believes in the resurrection of the dead, he acts accordingly. And that is what Abraham did. If, if a person believes that this life is not the end, there's going to be a day when the just and the unjust will stand before God in resurrection bodies to give an account for their life, if you really believe that, you live according to it. You don't live however you want because you understand that even 125 years in this world, is, is, it's just a second compared to eternity. And so you're willing to live in this world in humility and in faithfulness to God knowing that you will reap eternal rewards why give that up for, for, for uh, just earthly, the earthly pleasures of this world? You've not been given the senses to taste and see that the Lord is good. You don't have it, that's why. It's like, you know, I feel sorry for vegetarians, you know. <laughs> they've, they've, they've trapped themselves in this mindset that, you know, eating that beef tastes bad, right? Or like the person who puts an excessive amount of cream and sugar in their coffee and they've never tasted a good cup of black coffee, right? They've not tasted and seen that it is good. And that person has not tasted and seen that what God offers is greater. Therefore, they can delay sinful gratification. They can fight it. They can resist it because what God offers is greater, And he concluded, he thought, he reasoned, he, he computed, he did the computations in his own mind. God <clears throat> gave me these earthly promises in the sun, but I know that God raises the dead. Therefore, I don't know how God is going to do this because he promised. So I'm going to do what God asks and God will raise him from the dead because God doesn't lie. Why would he reason like this, though? First, he trusted in the power of God. He serves a God who can bring something out of nothing. 
Well, he did it in creation. That's, that's, um, so if you've bought into evolution, right? We, we come from a monkey or something like that. You press, you, you press the most sophisticated evolutionist in the world and you, you know, he's gonna come to a point where his whole system is a theory because we have no actual link. But that's besides the point. And if you say there's a link in our, our DNA, well, our DNA and the DNA of a banana are really close too. So did we come from a banana or a monkey? Oh, you can look that up. That's a, that's a fact. A little factoid for you. So I think it points to a common creator. Okay. So where was I with the going here? I forgot. <laughs> I confused myself. Oh, a God who can bring something out of nothing. He did it in creation. He spoke and the world came into existence. But not only that, for Abraham, there was something that hit a little closer to home. And Paul refers to it in Romans 4. Paul says this, in Romans 4, beginning at verse 17. I have made you the father of many nations. This is what God says to Abraham. Romans 4, 17. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead, and calls into existence the things that do not exist, this is where he heard, and that's the context in which he heard that promise. A God who brings something out of nothing, and a God who brings life out of death. That's the one who said to him, you're going to have a huge inheritance. Abraham didn't say, I'm like 100 years old, man. You know, the equipment that is requisite for creating children is not working properly. <laughs> You see what I'm saying? And my wife is older too, right? She's, she, she can't do the things that are necessary to carry a baby. In hope, he believed against hope. What does that mean? Uh, earthly, worldly hope, right? right? So I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. That's not hope. That he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not waver in faith when he considered. Same word. He thought about his own body and he just looked and he thought to himself, well, you know, I'm an old man, you know. He didn't waver in hope when he considered his own body since he was about 100 years old. He was older than anybody here. And God said, I'm going to give you an infant. That's tough. As a 30-year-old. <laughs> he considered his own body, which was as good as dead. Listen to the way that Paul interprets that Old Testament narrative. His body was dead, which means that it was unfruitful. He was unable to bear fruit. Right? Like a, a tree. It could be up, have leaves on it, but it's an apple tree. It doesn't produce fruit. What would you say? Oh, it's a dead tree. In essence, there's no fruit, it's dead, dead apple tree. He was a dead man. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, he, not only was she elderly herself, but she had never been able to bear a child. And now in their old age, what does God do? God brings life out of death. And he reasoned, he calculated, he said to himself, if God was able to do that, then he'll do it again. So I'm going to obey him. And whatever I do, 
God will resolve the issue. Again, God's not going to ask you to sacrifice your kid. This is a particular instance in history, a highlight that is intended to point to many magnificent things. By extension of that miracle of life out of death, the barrenness of her womb and the deadness of his body, he reasoned God could bring his life, bring his son back from the dead because God promised that in your seed, the, the nations will be blessed. Therefore, God must be able to do something great and spectacular, magnificent even. Abraham believed in God who can bring life out of death. And we, as Christians, we live in hope of eternal life which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. We worship a God who can bring life out of death. Therefore, a Christian person can put to death whatever he has to for the sake of obeying God. You know, they say um, you, you can't trust anybody, right? Every once in a while, your teeth bite your tongue. You can't even trust your teeth, you know? <laughs> Um, but you can trust God, God who does not lie. You, you might not have, you might be sitting here this morning, no faith. You don't, you don't believe in any of this. You know, this dude is up there getting sweaty and hot and it's all a bunch of uh, nonsense. Well, we'll see on judgment day. When you stand before the God who created you and you have to give an account. Or, you can believe in God now. You can turn from your sins. You can look at the circumstances in your life, all of the trials and all of the difficulties, and see all of your failure and lack of faith, and let that be a means to cause you to repent of your sins and to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. All of your sins can be forgiven if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. His life was sinless, perfect. And so acceptable to God that he was raised from the dead. That's the God that we believe in. There might be little faith in your life because of trials and testing. Well, what is that evidence of? It could be evidence of uh, lack of faith because you do not understand the fundamentals of the Christian faith or no faith. You don't believe you don't believe, so every time something difficult comes into your life, you have to make a decision. You choose to sin and be rebellious and live in a way that is contrary to God's will because that's what's in your heart. That's what's there. So it comes out. Well, repent. Confess it to God. Say to the Lord, Lord, forgive me. I've lived, you know, 5, 10, 15, 25, 30, 40, how many ever years in absolute rebellion, either pretending I'm a Christian or not living like one, and I need your mercy. And that's why your son rose from the grave, so that I might be raised to newness of life. There might be much faith in your own life. Well, it's not your own. If, the, if there is faith and confidence in God in your life, it's, it's so that you might give praise to the God who brings life out of nothing. It wasn't initially there. He gave that to you. It's a fruit of the Spirit. You were dead in trespasses and sins, and he gave you life. 
Our God is a God who can do more than we could ever imagine. And that's, you know, that is part of the reason why uh, I moved up to this valley and a bunch of other people did. Our, our conception as we moved up here was we are going to transform this valley. That's what our goal is. It absolutely is that. That's, those are the things that we pray for. And it's not because I'm exceptionally good at preaching or pastoring or anything like that. But God can bring life out of death. And that's why we're here. Five years, ten years. Our, our goal is to fill this valley with churches and Christian people. And that's what that's what we, and uh, there's, a, there's about... 200 other Christians in the South who are praying for that very thing regularly. That, that is what our goal is. And that's why we're here. So our desire, of course, is that God would build up the Christians in this church and that he would make us faithful to trust his promises and that we would live in such a way and sacrifice in such a way that proves that we believe in a God who could make you know, uh, I'm not trying to be derogatory, right? But, uh, you know, these old, dead buildings, he could bring them to life. And he can do that really slow or really fast. But we put our confidence and our faith in him, and he will work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope that you give us we ask, Lord God, that you would help us to continue to believe in a God who can bring life out of death. We celebrate this Sunday in particular, considering the resurrection of your Son as we do every other Sunday, Lord. We thank you and we praise you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.